Man, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Sugar Babies. How are we doing? As always, I hope this, the latest episode of The Musical Man, finds you well. I would like to talk about a gift that was given to Benny and I shortly before we began this recording session. I was delighted I am over the moon because we got a special guest appearance from Patty's Baby. Oh, how I love to see Patty's Baby in the form of pictures or through Zoom. And today we got the baby through Zoom because the baby wanted to show us their drawings. And I gotta tell you, I know that the baby is quite small, quite young, but I would like to say, and I don't think this is an exaggeration, I do not feel I am being hyperbolic, but I think these drawings are fantastic, I find them to be beautiful, and I would be honored to have any of them on my fridge. The baby was so proud to show us because the baby, I think, at this point understands that Mama Patty has friends that live inside the computer. I, <laughs> well, Benny and I, we live inside the computer. We are part of a reboot world. We are in the Matrix. But I think the baby at this point understands who we are. Patty is nodding. She has told the baby about Benny and Jonathan and how we all work together. We make a show. I was so, so tickled by these drawings, and we have been inspired by this art, and we are going to talk about some art today. <laughs> oh, boy. I might be stretching the term when talking about sugar babies. I don't know if we can... I don't know if we want to elevate this to the height of an exhibit within a gallery. I don't know if we're putting sugar babies on that sort of pedestal, but I am feeling very happy in light of this exhibition of ours. We did. We took a tour of an art gallery filled with the baby's drawings, and now it is time to talk about sugar babies. We saw the baby, and now we're talking about sugar babies. Okay, that's a connection I, I just now made. I'm already schwitzy. I think that's what's going on. I, I'm excited. I am feeling very inspired, but I'm also sweating. Sweating is what I am doing. Let's do the show facts. Let's go right into those show facts. Wait! No! No, no, no. We can't. We can't go into the show facts. Oh, boy. I have a follow-up regarding our most recent main feed subject, Take Me Along. So, in the 1980s, here we go, a revival of Take Me Along premiered at the Goodspeed Opera House in Connecticut before transitioning to the Schubert Theater New Haven and the Kennedy Center. When it finally premiered on Broadway at the Martin Beck Theater on April 14th, 1985, the company had nearly seven months of on-the-road experience under their belts. But fate is a cruel mistress, and the revival closed after a single performance. That's one performance, uno. That had to have hurt. 
For the purposes of this 1985 revival, the nightmare sequence, what I refer to as the nightmare sequence, that once served as the opening of Act 2, was replaced by a song, I found this to be very compelling in a weird way, a song called If Jesus Don't Love Ya, Jack Daniels Will. Based on my findings, this song does not exist in any form online. I should probably point out how the nightmare sequence is officially known as the Beardsley Ballet because it stars our dear friend, the Beardsley Dwarf. You remember us talking about the Beardsley Dwarf. Oh, Beardsley Dwarf, fetch me a dream. Oh boy. Now it's time for the show facts. Let's do it. Show me the show facts now. Okay, yes, let's do it now. Sugar Babies was a 1980 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on October 8th, 1979 at the Mark Hellinger Theater and ran for 1,208 performances, making it the 89th longest running show in Broadway history as of this recording. Peter Schaefer's Equus is number 88 with 1,209 performances and previous subject Guys and Dolls is number 90 with 1,212 performances. The Book of Sugar Babies, well, let's get into this. It was conceived, the show was conceived by Ralph G. Allen and Harry Rigby, and then we have sketches based on traditional material. That credit is given to Ralph G. Allen. Though they would ultimately receive credit for creating Sugar Babies, Allen and Rigby were actually brought in as replacements for a married couple their names were Norman and Dominique Abbott, who not only came up with the show's concept, but were in the rehearsal process when star Mickey Rooney, spoiler alert, had them fired. You're fired. The resulting lawsuit ended with the Abbotts receiving a six-figure settlement. Good. I'm glad that they got paid. The music of Sugar Babies was written by Jimmy McHugh, and the lyrics were written by Dorothy Fields and Al Dubin. We're also pulling songs from the canon from old trunks, we have additional music by Arthur Malvin, Jay Livingston, Ray Evans, George Oppenheimer, and Herbert Stothart. We have additional lyrics by Malvin, Livingston, Evans, and Oppenheimer, as well as Eugene West, Erwin Dash, Ted Kohler, and Jack Frost. Burr. The directors of Sugar Babies, well, this is, a, this is a slightly complicated situation as well. We have a supervised and staged by credit, which went to Ernest Flatt, and then all of the sketches within the show were directed by Rudy Tronto. Everything's a little complicated with Sugar Babies. The musical director was Glenn Rovin, and orchestrations were by Dick Hyman. Choreographer Ernest Flatt. Scenic design Raul Peñe Dubois. Lighting design Gilbert V. Hemsley Jr. Sound design? No. No sound design. Costume design Raul Peñe Dubois. Hello again. And the original Broadway cast was as follows. We have Ann Miller, who you might know from such films as You Can't Take It With You, Kiss Me Kate, The Motion Picture, and Mulholland Drive. We have Mickey Rooney, which we already spoiled for you. Broadway debut for Mickey Rooney, surprisingly. You might know him from any number of projects, but I like to think we cherish him. Oh, how we cherish his performance as Mr. Yunoshi, Yunoshi in Breakfast at Tiffany's. What a sensitive portrayal. We have Tom Boyd, Jack Fletcher, and Jillian Peter Leeds, Jimmy Matthews, Scott Stewart, Sid Stone, and Bob Williams. We have an additional four cast members who make up... <laughs> 
<laughs> this is officially known as the Gaiety Quartet. Here are the four people who make up the Gaiety Quartet. Jonathan Aronson, Eddie Pruitt, Michael Radigan, and Jeff Vesey. And finally, we have the Sugar Babies Ensemble. Here are your Sugar Babies. Laura Booth, Christine Bussini, Diane Duncan, Chris Alia, Debbie Gomez, Barbara Hanks, Jerry Kansas, Barbara Mandra, Robin Maynus, Faye Fujisaki, Mar, Linda Ravinsky, Michelle Rogers, Rose Scudder, and finally, Patty Watson. As always, I apologize if I've mispronounced any first or last names. There isn't a lot of diversity within the core company or the ensemble of Sugar Babies from what I have seen. And by that, I mean the cast is aggressively white. The vast, vast majority of the people in this show are white. And you might say, well, they were trying to recreate the era of burlesque. We really haven't gotten into this yet, but it is a burlesque review. That's what Sugar Babies is. And you might say, well, the majority of the people who did burlesque back in the day, they were white. Yeah, you can't blame them. I can. Yes, I can. That is a terribly convenient justification for gatekeeping. I do not understand how that is used as a reason for blocking out whole groups of people. There are no black people in this show, from what I can tell. And that is, do not come at me with that excuse. Ah, we have to recreate an era. Every tradition must be upheld, including the racism. No black people allowed back then. No black people allowed now. That's so fun. That's so convenient for everyone. Involved. While on vacation, Rooney was temporarily replaced by the Rat Pack's Joey Bishop, Eddie Bracken, whom many a millennial would know as Mr. Duncan, the toy shop owner from Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. He has many credits beyond that, but I'm just going from a millennial frame of reference. And also confetti-loving comedian Rip Taylor. Miller's only replacement was Helen Gallagher, who had previously appeared on Broadway in Sweet Charity, Guys and Dolls, Mame, and several other highlights. Productions. Rooney and Miller would reunite in 1985 for the second national tour of Sugar Babies, which featured a 20-year-old Jeff Dunham. Yes, that Jeff Dunham. He was among the cast. Dunham was formally summoned to the dressing room of Rooney at one point, who informed the ventriloquist that guys like him only appeared in Sugar Babies, so guys like Rooney could change their costumes. Sounds like a fun conversation. Listen, motherfucker, guys like like you are only in shows like this, so guys like me can change their diaper. I mean their costumes. My costume for this scene just so happens to be a diaper. Our old friends Carol Channing and Robert Morse, who passed away earlier this week, I'm sorry to report, spearheaded the original 1980 national tour, which was short-lived, unfortunately. We cannot forget to mention our old friends, and that is why I had to give a shout-out to Carol and Robert. Hello. Hey! Hey, what about the Tony nods? Uh, you're not going to forget about those, are you? No, of course not. Sugar Babies was nominated for the following Tony Awards, Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, Ralph G. Allen and Harry Rigby, Best Original Score, Arthur Malvin, Best Actor in a Musical, Mickey Rooney, Best Actress in a Musical, Ann Miller, Best Costume Design, Raoul Peigné Dubois, Best Choreography, Ernest Flatt, and Best Direction of a Musical, Ernest Flatt and Rudy Tronto. So, in total, eight nominations zero awards when all was said and done. Now, as I said, Sugar Babies is a burlesque review. It does not have a traditional plot as such. No, it does not. And so, in lieu of a traditional plot summary, I would like to provide the original New York 
York Times review of Sugar Babies from October 9th, 1979. This was written by Walter Kerr, and the headline for the review is Sugar Babies Burlesque is Back. Here's the review. Every once in a while, during the new scholarly disquisition on the art of burlesque, Sugar Babies, I found myself humming, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, and for a while I couldn't figure out why. I knew it wasn't because I'd heard the tinkly old song in another show earlier in the week. Here's a question from me, the musical man, if I may interrupt my own recitation, my own oratory. <laughs> what show is he talking about? What other show featured Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas? I'm confused. I tried to figure out what that could have been. I could not figure it out. Back to the review. Then at last I figured it out. It's because Mickey Rooney now looks like Santa Claus. Not at first he doesn't. As the curtain goes up after the Hellinger to a surprisingly gentle musical strain from the sometimes disorderly pit, we're looking at a kind of chaste abstraction. A giant brown coat marked here and there with floating black rectangles. When the coat finally turns around to grin at us, we do see that it's Mickey Rooney, the grin all rubbery and the rest of it as malleable as unbaked gingerbread. Hello, it's the musical manager again. What a terrifying picture Walter Kerr has painted for us. A giant abstract coat that turns around to smile at us and within the coat is a unbaked gingerbread man. Yeah, I, I don't have the I don't have the shimmy shams at all. I'm not quavering in my boots. Back to the review. But it's not until he starts stripping things away during a Jimmy McHugh tune bluntly called a good old burlesque show that he begins to resemble S. Claus or T. Belch or S.J. Falstaff or possibly Bozo Snyder. The new illusion may be due to the fact that Mr. Rooney's proportions have ballooned a bit since we shared his tears in Boys Town. The present production does not resemble Boys Town. If I may interrupt again, hello, it's me, Jonathan. Boys Town is a 1938 film in which Spencer Tracy plays a Catholic priest who establishes a home for boys. It is very, very, very loosely based on real events. I honestly have no idea who Walter Kerr is referring to when he cites T. Belch or S.J. Falstaff? If anyone knows, please help me out. Clue me in. Oh, back to Walter Kerr and to the question of why Rooney resembles Santa. This is a very important question, I guess. Back to the review. It may be due to the fact that Rooney strips all the way down to his very red long underwear. It may be due to the fact that his hair, when we see it, is scarcely more than three triangles of white fluff standing straight up over his ears, perhaps in fright at how little is left of it. And it may just be due to the fact that he is bringing us presents, including Ann Miller, to whom we will get Just Be Patient. The occasion is essentially a Rooney occasion. It seems to me extremely unlikely that anyone would have shaken the mothballs out of 60-year-old burlesque routines and done them throttle open and all flags flying without him. And the indefatigable Rooney is exactly as energetic and exactly as talented as he was when when, at the age of three or four, he rammed a cigar into his mouth, raked a derby over his brow, and made a star of himself, which is very, very energetic and even more talented. If I may 
interrupt once more, Walter Kerr is making reference to the Mickey Maguire shorts, which were produced from 1927 through 1934. Rooney, who was known as Joseph Yule Jr. at the time, would have been around seven years old, actually, when the first short, Mickey's Circus, premiered in theaters. Rooney's name was legally changed to Mickey Maguire in order to help his employers win a copyright lawsuit. That idea, that gambit, did not work out for the studio, but Rooney continued to refer to himself as Mickey Maguire until he was 12. People had to sit him down and say, you cannot keep referring to yourself as Mickey Maguire, you are 12, this is demented. Did I mention the Maguire shorts were based on a comic strip called Toonerville Trolley? Toonerville Trolley, yeesh, back to the review. Rooney's talent is applied, in Sugar Babies, to materials that were never meant to be lofty, but that have been authenticated by a professor from the University of Tennessee. What can the University of Tennessee be thinking of, as if I didn't know? I don't know what that means. <laughs> and whose own educational background includes Amherst, Yale, and obviously various other places. Name, Ralph G. Allen. What a weird paragraph from Walter Kerr. I, I don't know if I'm a fan of his writing style. The jokes are the jokes our granddaddies thought spicy, and Mr. Rooney's look of horror as a double entendre escapes him is hilarious. He also has deeply satisfying ways of getting rid of bold, bad, nostalgically heartwarming puns, kicking one of them into the wings with a backflip of his blinding white shoes, showing another his flexed muscle to send it leaping over the footlights and straight up the aisle. The sketches follow suit. Courtroom. Mr. Rooney literally flipping his rippling judge's wig as he bounces from the bench to run his ardent nose up murderous Ann Miller's most remarkable leg. Schoolroom. Miss Miller whacking Mr. Rooney with a rolled up newspaper until his curly wig flies off, probably to scurry around the block and take up residence at Annie. Hotel lobby. Oh, why bother? When Mr. Rooney shows up late for rehearsal with a quartet because he has been to queer practice, quote unquote, he is naturally told that he means choir practice, only to reply, just as naturally, that it was a queer choir. This is the musical man again. This is a traditional burlesque routine? This is something they pulled from way back when? A queer choir joke? I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I'm buying that. Back to the review. Rooney is at his funniest, to my way of thinking, in drag, stalking the stage with a top-heavy waddle that suggests a bisected camel batting the great false eyelashes that reach to a monstrous coiffure. It looks like a mound of congealed tapioca flecked with dead orange peel. And coming closer to us to let us see that his lip is quivering mightily as he dwells on his, her, misspent life. Oh, friends, he quavers, it isn't easy for a girl to live along the river. I broke up right there, though I can't say where it'll all catch up with you. And he is at his best, to my way of thinking, when he joins joins Miss Miller, or persuades Miss Miller to join him in an easygoing session at the grand piano. Here, after sprinkling his fingers over the keys for a bit, he drops from his emphatic show voice to the huskier intimacy with which he once did Manhattan, 
who did it better. This time, for I can't give you anything but love. After that, they go lively again for the shared high kicks of sunny side of the street. Miss Miller kicks higher than he does. You will gather that I liked Mr. Rooney. Hello, it's the musical man again. Walter Kerr's reference to the song Manhattan, if you were curious, is by extension a reference to the 1948 film Words and Music, which dramatized the working relationship of composers Richard Rogers and Lawrence Hart. Should I watch this movie? Is it any good? I had never heard of it until this week. Back to the review! I liked Miss Miller, too, in stunning shape at whatever age she must be, ready to leap from a baggage cart, whip off gloves and overskirt, and tap as though there'd been no yesterday. She is as penetrating as a noon whistle, and she can hold on to the note for the word blue until the only thing that's bluer is her eyeshadow. Miller strides through sketches, split skirt put to good advantage, with a hammer and tongs authority, too. The comics and straight men are a fast-talking lot. She keeps pace with a cool, haughty, handsome authority. Are there any misses in the grab bag? Yes, a few. There's a pitchman selling candy and imported photographs who has to labor at the old jests instead of jauntily tossing them skyward. But how much are you going to cavil about an entertainment that is so purely as things once were? The way things once were includes a fan dance in a blue grotto, a tall blonde in a Greek temple who attracts doves by singing to them, 16 by my count, a minstrel show in black light with only green banjos and purple gloves visible, and a patriotic finale in which the stately showgirls parade with frigates in full sail perched on their heads. Is a joke made about that? Yes. Raoul Peignet Dubois' settings are painted and even wrinkled to suggest whatever burlesque wheel he favored, and his costumes, spider webs of pearls, plumes so high I thought only horses could manage them, boast a nice slapdash smirk. Directors Ernest Flatt and Rudy Tronto worked the company and material as though arthritis had never been invented, and I had a grand time, thank you. The end! That's the end of the review. Hello! For the purposes of this episode of The Musical Man, I listened to the 1979 original Broadway cast album of Sugar Babies. I would like to point out there is... Okay, so this is, <laughs> admittedly, an incredibly niche observation, but go along with me on this. So if you look at the cover of the original Broadway cast album, Rooney's clown persona, which is featured prominently on that cover, is highly reminiscent of Flip, the clown Rooney would go on to play in the animated film Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. That was a 1989 release. I'm sure there are people out there who know what I am talking about. You at the very least know what that movie is, and you might remember who Flip is. Flip! He's the clown who's always smoking cigars that explode. I, I know. I, I know that there are people who know what I'm talking about, and there are people who don't know what I'm talking about. I sounded crazy just then. I'm sounding really crazy. Oh. I also watched the 19... <laughs> The 1980 Tony Awards performance of a McHugh medley. I would argue Walter Kerr of the New York Times is going overboard with his description of Rooney's appearance. It's a little unfair, but I have to say the man does look old and rumpled. I will give you that. Like he just fell out of bed and into a suit before being pushed on stage. That sleepy time tea quality extends into his opening serenade, which Ann Miller eventually 
actually shoves to one side so she can abruptly drop an atomic bomb on the crowd. And, uh, it's great. The pipes, the pipes, are calling indeed. Thank heavens for Ann Miller. She wound me up and left my teeth chattering during this performance, and Mickey appears similarly energized by her presence. He's bouncing around like a wayward meatball, now who's being unfair, pegging out dance steps like a proud rooster. Okay, now I just sound like Walter Kerr. Watching them dance together is a delightful experience, even if it's clear Miller could fly higher by cutting Rooney loose, as if he was ballast on a hot air balloon. Let us begin our deconstruction of the Sugar Baby score with a clip from the opening number, A Good Old Burlesque Show. Hit it! Don't listen to the snobs who say burlesque was mean and low. Believe me, they don't know the half. Why, for a very modest price, you could enter paradise where a man could drown his troubles in a laugh. Easy, fellas. Bobby Clark and Leon Earl, Willie Howard, Fanny Bryce, Al Jolson, Sophie Tucker, Eddie Boy. I remember their routines, all the shtick and all their scenes, a memory that time cannot destroy. There were chorus girls and jugglers and a sentimental tune illustrated by a lantern slide. Say, friends, no fun was ever greater. That was real theater. I'd pay a fin to be inside. Bob Hope, Red Skelton, Jackie Gleason all came from burlesque. I would be happy if I could only see a good old burlesque show where all the performers used to be in a good old burlesque show. Top bananas who could really make you scream and the kind of girls you picture in a dream. Say, you know what I'd do and I'd do it all for free. I'd do a burlesque show. snobs would have you believe burlesque was nothing more than tawdry smut. Untrue. Now, for your entertainment pleasure, two hours of tawdry smut. <laughs> like, come on already. Dick and titty jokes are sugar baby's raison d'etre. I don't see why we have to pretend otherwise. That was a pure time. Oh, we were so clean back then, you have no idea. Shut up. <laughs> this is a perfectly serviceable way to begin the evening, I suppose. I suppose. I don't understand why Ann Miller can't be a part of that opening number. Very confusing. I Well, wait a minute. I do believe maybe she comes in at a certain point, but she's not featured prominently. And if this is supposed to be a two-hander, a proper two-hander, I think she needs to be right there with Mickey Rooney center stage at the beginning. It should be a duet, and it's not, which is very... Whoa, and it's not. Uh, 
that was fun. So uh, anyway, let's move on to the traveling medley. We are going to hear a bit of In Louisiana and I Feel a Song Coming On. We will not be hearing, we will not be hearing from going back to New Orleans. So if you were looking forward to that, I, uh, I apologize in all sincerity. Let's go. pep of this ensemble is nothing short of invigorating. I was wriggling about in place. Oh, how I was shimmying and shammying during this medley. Louisiana never sounded so good. <laughs> Normally, always, I never want to go to Louisiana, but they make it sound like a trip and a half. Miller crashes. Oh my gosh, she torpedoes the scene with a voice bigger than the Chrysler building. If Sugar Baby's success can be pinned on one person, it is Ann Miller. I mean, think about it this way. Judy Garland had passed away a decade prior, and Ethel Merman had not been on Broadway since 1966. She was not long for this world in 1979. Theater goers were 
were starving, starving for the sterling chops of a bold and brassy dame, and Anne Miller was ready to serve. She was serving, snapping, yes, future queen, yes. Broken Arms Hotel, hello. Is this room 19? It is. Are you the lady that left a call for 10 o'clock? You are. Well, it's 6 o'clock. You've got four more hours to sleep. Broken Arms? Oh, yes, Mrs. Clyde. I'll attend to it at once. Tommy, there's something wrong with Mrs. Clyde's keyhole. Go upstairs and look into it. Yes, sir. This is the Broken Arms Hotel, front desk. What's that? You say you got a leak in your bathtub? Well, go ahead. You paid for the room. <laughs> so what you just heard is one of several examples from the Broadway cast album of the Sugar Babies sketch material. This track is known as the Broken Arms Motel. And I hope that you were just teeing and giggly-gooing in your little seat. Oh, how you were teeing and giggly-googling. Can someone... <laughs> giggly-googling. I hope that you are disgusted because I am disgusted by myself. Can someone please explain to me the leak in your bathtub joke? I will repeat it in case it went right by you. I'm sure that it did. You say you've got a leak in your bathtub? Well, go ahead. You paid for the room. <laughs> what is that joke? Not since Chinaman for Shirts have I been so confused. Man, two shows in a row where the jokes come at me and <laughs> I am struck dumb by their very existence, by their presence. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know. I turn them around. I examine them. I find nothing, uh, nothing that I can recognize, nothing that I can hang my head on. It's very frustrating. Hey, Patty and Benny. Hey, hey, hey. Would it be all right with you if we played a bit of Don't Blame Me? Huh? Oh, I'm getting the go-ahead. All right, let's do it. Let's hear Don't Blame Me. Just like a fool Falling head and heels in love like A kid out of school My poor heart is in an awful state now But it's too late now To call a halt So if I become a nuisance It's I'm under your spell, so how can I help it? Don't blame me. Can you see when you do the things you do? If I can't conceal the thrill that I'm feeling, don't
sweet as a kiss can be And blame all your charms that melt in my arms But don't blame me Blame that moon up above Making me need someone a kiss can be and blame all your charms that melt in my arms don't That bright white street lamp on a rainy night intro from the sax. Oh, I appreciate that sax. Part of me believes I should couch my enthusiasm for the sax within some otherwise derisive comment. Something like, oh, I know it's corny, but I like it despite its corniness or what have you. But life is too short. I'm not going to couch my enthusiasm. No, no, no. No couches from me. I like what I like. Ann Miller recreates the sustained penultimate power note gimmick that you heard right there at the end of Don't Blame Me. We get that again in a later number to slightly diminishing effect, but in this instance, it is nothing short of breathtaking. I want to hear her stretch out that note. Oh, it's wonderful. Looking up at her from the front row of the house must have been quite the experience. Knowing she is so close to you, yet still larger than life, man oh man. If I could just experience Ann Miller in in that context, I'm sure that it would it would blow me away is what it would do. Hey, look at me tended bar. <laughs> I I should have been a star. I you know what I had what it takes, but I couldn't get the brakes. That's just the way things are. I need a wrinkle that's up to date. Yeah, some fresh idea that could wipe the slate. Why the pipes are ideal. Deep body bubble. When you got it, you got it. The legs are like steel. Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> Maybe it's not too late. Millionaire sitting in a cozy rocking chair. I just want to be a song and dance man, dancing my dance, singing my song. I don't care to make a pile of dough. Let me smile and let me stop the show. I just want to be a song and dance man, dancing along my way. 
Oh, Mr. Leader, please fix me up some Dixie melody. And when I strut my stuff, tell the orchestra to cut. Turn on that spotlight. Ah, let me be a Yankee Doodle guy. Let me wave the flag and wave it high. I just want to be a song and dance man. Give me a stage. Give me a chance. Just let me dance, dance, dance. Hey! You want to know what I find funny from I'm Just a Song and Dance Man? It's not exactly bowling me over. I'm not shitting myself. <laughs> but I do like the way Mickey Rooney delivers that nonsensical baby talk scat riff that and he follows that up with when you got it, you got it. <laughs> That's funny. Honestly, Rooney probably would have been happier as a bartender. As you might recall from Walter Kerr's review, there is a sketch in Sugar Babies that features Rooney as a schoolboy and Ann Miller as a teacher. She smacks him around a little in that sketch, a moment which fills all of two seconds, but let me tell you, if you know anything about Rooney's life, that is fairly hard to sit through. He was the victim of elderly abuse. He was also accused of domestic abuse in his own right, okay? It's hard to engage with this material when you know what showbiz did to Mickey Rooney and the people around him. Maybe it's better if you just wind up tending bars somewhere, Showbiz is a, it's a poisonous root. It can be, certainly for many people. It can bring out the darkness within you that was always there, huh? I, I just, I like the idea of Rooney just being a bartender, maybe. Maybe that would have been a better life instead of being in the movies at the age of seven. That is too young, maybe. Maybe? No, obviously. Too young. Patty, Benny, should we hear a little bit more sketch material from this show? Uh, fine? Yes? Okay. <laughs> Let's hear the track Father Dear, Father Dear. Deer slash the boss upstairs. Yes? What is it? Father, dear father, don't say I'm late. It's Friday night and we've got a date. I'm going out with a boy named Joe. He's gonna take me to a picture show. Have a good time, dear. I'm going out with a boy named Pete. We're going to the Ritz to get something to eat. Have a good time, dear. I'm going out with a boy named Chuck. You get right back upstairs and go to bed. How much is a nice filet mignon? 62 cents. 62 cents? I'll take it. And how much is a bottle of your finest imported champagne? 23 cents. 23 cents? How can you charge these ridiculously low prices? Very easily. Right now my boss is upstairs with my wife. And what he's doing to her up there, I'm doing to him down here. 
I mean, oh boy, 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 boy. Can you imagine? Here's a question I would put to you, the listener. Can you imagine doing some of these sketches for three years? Three years. One, two, three years of your life. I'm not saying they're awful or anything, but they ain't exactly sizzling on the stovetop either. Aye, aye, aye. I'm pretty upset over the exclusion of the queer choir routine. Is that the gaiety quartet? I'm just now making that connection. Where is the queer choir routine? routine on this album. You didn't include that? Why not? I want that on the record, goddammit. I want to hear Mickey Rooney say the phrase queer choir. Hey! Let's close out. <laughs> let's close out this deconstruction of the score with a clip from the McHugh medley, which Rooney and Miller performed of course on the Tony as part of the Tony Awards ceremony, I should say. They also did this basically on every show that would have them, but I, I like this. I like this section of the show. I want to hear Rooney serenade. I want to hear Ann Miller shove him aside so she can drop that atomic bomb. So let's hear it. Let's do that now. I can't give you anything but love my baby That's the only thing I've plenty of Annie Dream a while Scheme a while Annie you're sure to find Happiness, and I guess all those things you've always pined for. Gee, I'd like to see you looking swell, my little baby. Diamond bracelets were worth, doesn't sell, my little baby. Till that lucky day you know darn well, baby. I can't give you anything but love. Today o'er the hills, Maggie, to watch the scenes below. I don't believe what I'm hearing. The creak in the creak in old mill, Maggie. We knew so long, long ago. Little Jean Austin, eh, what? Me? <laughs> what? That was terrible. Can't you see the glint in my eye? Ah, it isn't the glint in your eye. What is it, Annie? It's the tilt of your kilt. Ah, what the hay? Thank you very much, Patty and Benny. You know, this is the point in the show where we would normally hear from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee. But we have a brand new patron. Oh, their name is Greg. Hello, Greg. And 
as a $10 a month patron, I believe, yes, that's correct. As a $10 a month patron, Greg is entitled to a musical shout-out. Ah, and we have a very, very special musical shout-out for you, Greg. Take it away, musical shout-out. No, 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 thank you very much, but I only consume High Point coffee. None of that five, six, seven, eight stuff for me. No, no, no. Let's just go right into it. All right, Greg. Hello, it's me. Hello, Greg. Now, I'm sure you're like most of the people I know up in heaven. This is Betty Lauren Bacall. Lauren Bacall here. And here I, before I came down here, they said, the angels up there, they said to me, uh, uh, Lauren, Betty, 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 why go back to Earth for a simple musical shout out? Well, I would say to them, I've always known coming here was the right decision. I simply had to make your dream a reality. And frankly, Greg, my record speaks for itself. I think I can look back and safely say I was right in coming here, right? That's right. I mean, even in my personal life, I've always made the right decision. When I married Larry, I was 18, he was 20. We were both journalism students in Missouri, and all he wanted to be was William Allen White. I had a job at a local TV station. I was only doing the weather, but some network executive happened to see me one night. So I knew I had to go to New York, and Larry would be happier editing a newspaper in Colorado or somewhere, so it was time for a break. And though we both still cared for each other, he had to go his way, I had to go mine, so the split up was not a mistake. Now Larry's remarried and blissful out west, and I love my career. It was all for the best. Need we even mention my professional life? When I started doing hard news, those decisions weren't easy, you know. I remember interviewing Nasser and saying, look, Amal, do me a favor and do not invade Israel, but no, no, he went right ahead. Then there was Ehrlichman and Haldeman. I said, boys, you've got to tell the truth. What did they do? Lies, lies, every word that they said. Then Alexei Petrikov, the Russian dancer, said he was bored out of the Bolshoi. I told him to fact, but he was too meek. Now a friend of mine just got back from Moscow, says he's frustrated, unhappy, and dancing Spartacus four times a week. Now a bracket I'm not, but doesn't it show my margin for errors exceedingly low? So the next time someone says Lauren Bacall would never do a musical shout-out, right? You look him square in the eye, Greg, and you say, Wrong! Final thoughts regarding Sugar Babies. The rigid cycle of Mickey Rooney character numbers and Miller torch songs and dopey sketch material became tiresome over time, I have to say. But I stand by my praise of Ann Miller, and if I was around in October 1979... It must be said once more, I would have bought a ticket to see her. Is her makeup a categorical fright? I haven't said as much prior to this moment, but I will say that yes, we could have reined in the makeup a little bit. It's true. Now, in 1980, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical, as a reminder, was former subject of the main feed, Havita, Havita, Havita. And the additional nominees that season were A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine, and Barnum. We haven't talked about those shows, but we will! The question is, did Sugar Babies deserve to win the Tony Award for Best Musical over Evita? Are you fucking kidding me? No, absolutely not. It is now time to rank... <laughs> Sugar Babies against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the main feed. I am going to place Sugar Babies at number 96. That is between Cats at number 95 and Pump Boys and Dinettes at number 97. As always, if you want to take a look at this list of ours, our ranking list, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod, find our link tree. You can access our spreadsheet via that link tree and the second tab of said spreadsheet will give you all the ranking info you want. 
We have one piece of show-related ephemera for you this week. It is a 1980 interview with Carol Channing regarding the Sugar Babies national tour, the first national tour from 1980. Yes, I liked this interview a lot, and so I wanted to share it with you. Let's hear that now. show has obviously been a great success, but I was amazed to hear you tell me that you're still making changes almost daily. Sugar Babies has been a great big hit on Broadway. It's the biggest, fattest hit that there is, Mickey mm, Rooney and sure. Ann Miller. Mm. No other show comes near it. But they couldn't possibly duplicate Mickey Rooney and Ann Miller. That would be There just aren't two other people like them. So they went another way entirely and got Bobby Morse and me. And it isn't, they, they don't use the same sketches. I mean, I do one of Mickey's songs. Bobby does one of Ann's. I do what. But it's been adapted to your style, to Carol Channing and to Bobby Moore's. Well, it's a burlesque show, and when burlesque, it go. They have uh, access to um, uh, sketches and burlesque material back to Abraham Lincoln's time. And burlesque used to be family entertainment, so uh, Abraham Lincoln used to love it. He would go to burlesque shows all the time. It meant just what the word says. Um, it meant uh, burlesque. It meant uh, satire, spoofing mm-hmm. something going on at the time. Well, this is almost Americana history, is what it is. But then in 1930, the Minsky got a hold of it, yeah, and put all the filthy jokes in, and they got to uh, playing for derelicts and winos and <laughs> and poor nude girls standing there freezing to death on stage and all that, and and it killed burlesque. It just went down, down, down. But burlesque, before the Minskys got a hold of it, was family entertainment. And that's what we've got. So we've got, I'm up to my eyeballs in chimps, and in uh, uh, we have this chimpanzee act, which is marvelous. And the uh, doves, they have uh, they have doves. And you're that, throwing knives, and you're yeah, doing all sorts of... Know? Well, I know. Oh, I you know. saw Yes, it. I've seen. Poor Bobby Morse, I throw knives at him. The first, we broke it in here in Dallas. It was our opening night, and I was scared to death to throw those knives at him. He just stood there like a soldier and let me throw. He, he trusts you, Carol. Yes. Yeah, and also, he doesn't want to lose the audience, too. He wants his laugh. Now, at this point, we would typically take a ride on the musical carousel to determine what show we talk about next. But because Greg is our $10 a month patron, our latest patron at the $10 level, he is entitled to pick the next subject of our main feed. Yes, who, what, who, what, what did Greg choose? Well, this is the 1982 winner of the Tony Award for Best Music. It ran for 729 performances. The name of that show is Nine. Nine, baby. And that episode will be dropping on May 11th. So, mark your calendars. Nine is coming at you May 11th. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Okra Project. We do not keep a cent for ourselves. All of that money is redirected to the Okra Project. It's true. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. Let's break down those tiers, shall we? By donating Donating $1 a month, you are granted Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes. Everyone else will have to wait until Wednesday, but you will get them on Monday. It's lovely. You'll get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Thank you for donating at least $1 a month. Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Gary, Maddie, Jonathan, Marques, Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, 
Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You get 17 bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, a trailer review for the film Cats, The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the film Cats, Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus. Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, a review of the trailer for West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana and Annie Live. You also get Season 1, that's 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the songs, non-musical theater songs I should say, that make me feel more like myself. And finally, within this one a month tier, you also get access to the first 12 episodes of M3, The Movie Musical Man. This is a series for which we watch trios of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. That show is returning October. I don't know if we've announced this yet, but it is officially returning in October of this year, so keep your ears open. The $3 a month tier will net you everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. So, if you want if you want to hear from Lauren Bacall again, or anyone else from the musical theater canon, you just need to donate $3 a month, and they will shout out. They will shout you out, is what they will do. Hey, hey, what else do you get in this tier? You get 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a special one-off all about season one, the only season, of Julie and the Phantoms. $5 a month will net you everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the main feed. That's what Greg did. Greg chose nine. All I ask of you, seasons one and two, that's 24 episodes of an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You'll get that. You'll get access to our Broadway in Chicago review series, the next episode of which is dropping May 4th. We'll be talking about Moulin Rouge, baby. And finally, in this tier, you get Shout About It, volumes one through four. That is a compilation, a compendium, if you will, of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 100 episodes of the show. And finally, last but certainly not least, we have the $10 a month tier, for which you get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. Season 1, that's 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a series for which we focus on Broadway musicals that were snubbed. They were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. And finally, you get Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. The next episode of that series will drop on May 18th. That will be dedicated to Kid Victory and Jacques Brel is alive and well and living in Paris. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review of the show. We want a total of 65 star reviews and we still only have 53. How sad? How sad? Boo-hoo-hoo. What will happen when we get to 65 star reviews? Well, I will release a special episode all about Disney's Zombies franchise. It's true. You can stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, or Audible. Podbean is also an option. Musicalmanpod.podbean.com Follow us on Twitter. Oh, what a great Twitter we have. At Musicalmanpod and email me at Musicalmanpod at gmail.com Greg emailed me. We had a lovely back and forth. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny and that baby. That baby is talented I tell you. In artiste. Alex Green, thank you for our beautiful logo and ah, Zach Little, thank you for our fabulous intro and outro music. Ah, oh, you know what that sound means? 
means yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night. <laughs>